We read this scripture as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Faith Church. You doing okay this morning? Come on, we'll try it again. You doing all right this morning? All right, good. Hey, we're glad you are here with us, whether you're in the room or online. We are wrapping up and finishing our kind of study through the book of 1 Corinthians today. And uh, we've come to chapter 16. You've made it. We are here. We've arrived. And uh, we've kind of been taking the themes and the teachings within each chapter and kind of walking them through. And we're kind of coming here to the end of chapter 16. So I hope if you got a copy of scripture, join me, 1 Corinthians 16. You can go to faithchurchks.org and follow along with the notes and the things there as well. Um, and I believe God's got something that he wants to say to your heart and in my heart, we, we just had a great, great day yesterday here at Faith Church where we did our XO Marriage One Day event, and we had over 40 couples here, almost 100 people in the room. It was just a ton of fun. We laughed a lot. We ate a lot. We uh, got connected and love, just real practical tools to help us grow in our love, and so it was a lot of fun, and uh, we can't wait to do it again, and if you missed it, uh, you missed it. Don't miss the next one. That's all I'm going to say. Like, come on. It's going to be, be fun. Hey, in, in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is kind of giving his final instructions to this church in this writing as to how to live a godly life, how to live a life that centers around the person of Jesus, how to live a life that honors God, how to, how to live a Christian life, a life that when people look at you and when they look at me, they're like, yeah, that reminds me of this guy I read about named Jesus. Like, like that's the goal. Right? Like that we would live a life that when people can see it, when they see what it is, Jesus said it like this, live in such a way, let your light shine in such a way that people would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, there's something about our lives that ought to be so clear and obvious that God is worthy of our praise because of how you and I live our life. And, and so Paul is giving some final instructions in living a godly life. He's giving some personal updates here and tell so-and-so this, and I plan to do this, and here's this thing that I want to do. He's kind of giving some personal updates, and those are important because what those tell us is that they're rooted in humanity, they're rooted in a real person, they're rooted in a real person's life and story, and we then know how to date and contextualize the writing so that we know historically it actually was written in real time. So he uses real people's names and real places and gives examples of what's happening in their world at that time so that we can look back now, thousands of years later, and historically look and say, oh yeah, that's why this is the time. This must have been when Paul wrote this book, when Paul wrote this letter. This must have been the time period. And so all of these practical, personal things that he writes, these personal updates, those are important because it helps um, Bible scholars accurately identify when, when this was written and adds validity to the fact that 
it was indeed written, right? It is true, and we can trust what's here. And so he gives some personal updates, and he's giving some of his final pastoral reminders to this church. Right? Like, here's everything that I've said. We've taken a whole summer to walk through what he's talked about, and here are the main, main things. Just hold on to this summary. Hold on to these things that we share and see. And, and we kind of get a glimpse of this in 1 Corinthians 16. It, it, start with me in verse 13. He says this. He says, be on your guard. Friends, I really believe he's talking about guarding your heart, guarding your mouth, and guarding your mind. I don't think he's saying take a stance in an attack mode against everybody who is against you. I think he's saying hey, guard your heart. Be aware that the evil around you wants to creep in and create toxicity in your own heart and your own faith. So, so be on guard. Be on guard. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. What's the faith? We talked about it last week, the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he was raised again. The resurrection life, the gospel of Jesus, stand firm in it. Let nothing move you. Let nothing shake you. Don't let opinions, don't let polls, don't let other circumstances and culture, don't let your conveniences or lack thereof dictate whether or not you are standing firm in a faith that you profess about who Jesus is. Hold on to it. The world is going to get rocky. Things are going to get shaken. It's going to look a little odd at times, but stay standing. I'm still standing. <laughs> that song's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. Stand strong in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Do everything in a way that falls in line with the definition that he gave us in chapter 13. Not do everything based on your opinion. Don't do everything based on your preference. Don't do everything based on what you think is tolerance or lack thereof. Do everything based on the love of God. Filter it through that. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not envious. It doesn't boast. It's not proud or rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not judging. Uh, easily angered. It keeps zero record of wrong. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the love. Do everything in love. If it isn't obvious that it reflects the love of God, if you have to defend yourself saying that it's love, it's probably not. Do everything in love. I, Paul, verse 21, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Mic drop. Like, dang, Paul. Like, if you don't love the Lord, you on your own, suckers. <laughs> right? Like, love the Lord. And then he says, come, Lord. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And I love this. I love this right here. My love to you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. A lot of times when I'm writing letters to the church or uh, I'm sending emails out or I'm giving communication, one of the, my favorite ways, I have two ways that I love to sign off a, a letter, a greeting, or, or an email or a communication that I send out. My, my two favorite ways are God's best, and then I'll say much love. 
for me, when I look at some of Paul's final words, what he's really trying to do is give us some pastoral reminders here. He's wanting us to remember, hey, listen, you got to stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. Don't be shaken. Don't be distracted. Don't be dissuaded. Don't become discouraged. Disappointment's going to come. But, but whatever you do, stand firm in it. Man, I really hope you love well. Don't be one of those lazy Christians. Don't be one of those selfish followers of Jesus. Don't be one of those that it's here one day, gone to, depending on how you woke up on what side of the bed you are as to how you're going to treat the people around you. No, just make a decision that you're going to let the love of God be so full in you, you can't help but let the love of God pour out from you. Just, just love well and remember that you are loved by me too. And I love these pastoral reminders. Uh, much of my heart in this sermon uh, and much of my heart through this summer has been to do my absolute best to pastorally walk us through what does it look like to honor and serve and glorify King Jesus in our cultural climate, in this season of time, in the realities that we have. And we've had to approach some really, really tough subjects. You know, there are three things that people never want um, pastors to talk about. Oh, we rarely say them out loud, but we all believe them and think them. Three things that we're like, Pastor, you can talk about anything, but don't you dare talk about sex in my life. Don't talk about my money, and don't you dare talk about politics. Like, if you will just avoid power, money, and sex, I'll be happy. Like, don't be meddling in those things. And with great empathy and love and integrity in my own heart, as we've walked through this path, we've had to discuss kind of all of those, y'all. We, we kind of have to get at these. Why, why, why? Because all three of these things, these three big things in our lives, easily are the pursuits of all of our lives. Three things that never say enough is enough. The hardest thing in the world for us to say, yeah, yeah, I know it's really okay. I, I don't need any more. I don't need any more money. No, no, I don't need any more control. Go ahead, you can control. I don't need control anymore. You can have all the power. It's fine, it's fine. No, no, you go ahead. And we definitely never can say enough to our own cravings within the sexuality that God gave us. Three things that never is enough. Enough is never enough. The, the win is enough. Well, the next time will be enough. The next the next bit will be enough. The next raise will be enough. The next moment where I get to make my own decisions and I don't have to listen to anybody else tell me how to live my life or live, live how I want. I'm not caring about anybody. I just, like these are three things nobody wants anybody to talk about and they sure as heck don't want the church talking about them. And they don't really like pastors talking about them. And if they hear sermons on, they're like, I'm out, I'm gone. I can't believe he said that. He's meddling in my life. He's trying to control, trying to manipulate. That's just like the church, just trying to do. Listen, listen, listen. All three of these things, all three of these things. Can I just let you know? These are the three things of the devil's playground in our lives these are the three things that the enemy constantly is trying to lure us away from and these are three things that the bible stands in direct contrast to how we live in these three arenas often is where people can see the greatest testimony of who jesus is and the apostle paul has had to address all of these and um, as a result, because we've walked through the Bible and tried to be true to what the Bible has said, I've had to address all of these in this collection. And I just want you to know my heart. Just like Paul was writing, and he wants you to know his heart. Here's, here's my heart. My 
heart is that you would flourish in every area of your life, that you would indeed experience God's best, and that in so doing, you would be reminded that you are deeply loved by God, and you're deeply loved by me. Because I want your life to flourish. I want your life to be in such a way that your faith is strong, that the seasons and the situations and the temptations and the, and the cultural realities don't become your master, but Jesus remains your Lord. This has been my heart and my press and my longing, and it's with that same approach today that I want to I get into some of these final instructions that Paul gives us. And one of, these are his pastoral reminders, but he's also giving us some pastoral final instructions for us to hold on to, for us to remember, because these things are important. And in his pastoral final instructions, Paul says this, he says, to practice generosity because it is both practical and full of purpose. Look, look at what he says at the very beginning of chapter 16. Starting at verse 1, he says this, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then I will they will accompany me. And after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I have been going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will even stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Here's the context of what Paul is referring to. All of the all of the churches in Asia Minor, all of the churches in um, the, to, to, to the east of Jerusalem that had been built, all of the, the um, Jewish churches, but especially uh, the Gentile or non-Jewish churches that Paul was doing a work with, uh, were all adding resources and creating collections and offerings to be sent back to Jerusalem because the church that started in Jerusalem was under severe need. They were experiencing some immense struggle and poverty, and most believe, historians and theologians alike, believe that the reason they were struggling financially was because of a famine in the land. There was a great crash economically as a, because of famine in that space and time. And all of the churches were coming together to try and help them out to, to go back in time and to send to them to, to create support and help along the way because whether you realize it or not one of the things that was the strongest testimony of the church of the, those who believed in the resurrected Lord and the transformation power of the cross was that they lived selflessly and generously in an amazing way in every area of their life they gave all the time. They were always looking out for the needs of someone else before they put their own needs together. There was something, and it was creating such a stir around that, that historians will tell us that um, the, the authorities, the governing authorities were like, hey, listen, we're not really good. We're not sure what to do with this pandemic that's happening. Let's just let the church take care of the sick people because they do it way better than we can. 
providing some government help and assistance. The, the church can do so much better. They're mobilized in such a way. They're caring for each other and supporting each other and loving each other. Let's just let them do what they do because it's actually a huge benefit to our society right now. They had flipped the script of what it meant to be followers of Jesus. They had flipped the script of, of what it meant, rather, to, to be people after God. And, and, and I love how he says in the very beginning, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Friends, here, here's the first thought that I want to offer to us pastorally today. And that's, I would just submit this, that giving is about impacting people. Generosity impacts people. God's heart is for people. God's heart is for people. Don't, don't miss this. God's heart is for people, not your possessions. God's heart is for people, not for possessions. Possessions are amoral. Possessions are neither good nor bad. It all depends on the person. If possessions possess you, then God is after those things. God will use possessions in abundance in order to gain your heart. Or he will take opportunity where possessions seem to be a deficit in your life to create a hunger and a need for him. Possessions are just a pathway that God is after your heart. And whether you realize it or not, all of us, when it comes to the material realities of our life, it directly impacts and flows with our heart attached to it. Jesus said it like this, whatever you are doing with your treasure is where your heart will automatically go. Like your heart's going to move in those directions. And God's heart is always for people. God's heart is always for your heart. And sometimes possessions are the thing that's in the way. Sometimes your sexuality is the thing that's in the way that's keeping you from allowing him to be fully Lord in your life. And he's like, yeah, we're going to have to deal with some of that. Sometimes it's your, your need to control and be right and to have power and to not really give over control of your life to him. You, wanna, you want 90% of control and you want him to only have 10% of control in your life and your decision making and your attitudes and your scheduling and your priorities. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for very long. I love you way too much. And he's patient and he's kind and he's loving. And he's willing to woo us along. And Paul reminds us that the collection is for the Lord's people because giving impacts people. And he tells them, this is what I told you to do. I want you to set it aside. I, I, I want you the first day of every week, each of you, each of you, to set something aside to give. S to set it aside. To I love this idea of setting it aside because all through the story of Scripture and all through the story of God's people, all through the story that God unfolds and all throughout what Jesus came to do, he came to stand in a way that set things aside, to be set apart, holy for the Lord. He says, I want you to recognize that there are some things that you just need to set aside. You need to set aside this day for worship for love. Why is Sunday the day where we come to worship Lord? Because we say our schedules are busy, our life is full, we have all sorts of priorities, but we look at Sunday as a day that we have set it aside, and we are saying nothing is going to stop me from gathering with the people of God to worship our God. We're setting this day aside. 
We here at Faith Church love to set aside the first Wednesday of every month to seek God, to pursue God, to encounter God. And first Wednesday is the day of the first Wednesday of every month. We set it aside and we say, God, we're going to meet you. We're going to seek you on Wednesday. We're going to spend 45 minutes pursuing you, praying together, and encountering your presence, Lord. We are setting it aside because we want our month to be in such a way that you get the priority of everything. We're, we're, we're putting you first in our month, Lord. We're putting you first in our week, Lord. And he's writing and he's saying, as it relates to the money, as it relates to the, the things that God has blessed you with, each of you can set it aside and let it be holy to the Lord. He says, I, I want you to set aside a sum of money. Listen to the practicality of this. I love, because I am a systems person. Like, I live my life in systems. I put my keys in the same place every day in my house. Why? Because that means when I leave my house, I know exactly where my keys are because I put them in the same place. That's a system. A repeated step in pattern of things. Right? Like, I, I have a system. There's a system. I have a systematic way of writing my notes so that the team knows what to put online and what I need just for me. You don't get all of my notes, but you can have some of my notes, right? Like there are some things that go for there. It's, I, I have a pattern. I have a process. I have a system. We have a follow-up system, right? You text in hello, fill out a card. We have a systematic pre-planned way of what we want to help give you information to help you get to know us and give us opportunity and you the opportunity to grow and connect and help you take next steps if you want to it's it's a system it's systematic it's repeatable it's it's simple it's strategic it's step by step it is not a coincidence that we talk about next steps here at faith church why because i just believe if you're going to get from here to there you're going to have to do it one step at a time it's just practical y'all and I love, I love how Paul is writing. He says, hey, listen, listen, listen. On the first day, because there's a priority, of every week, each of you set something aside, a sum of money, in keeping with your income. Not in trying to keep up with somebody else's income. Not in trying to fulfill a pledge. Not in trying to um, accrue something, not in trying to prove something, not in try of trying to earn God to love you because, oh God, look at how much I'm giving today, Lord. I might not eat tomorrow, but Lord, it's yours. Right? Like trying to earn God, curry favor, like set it aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up. <laughs> you know what I love uh, about this idea? is uh, the Apostle Paul, I believe, is gently trying to tell you, hey, get on a budget, would you? <laughs> Set it aside in accordance with your income. If you're not aware of the income coming in and the income going out, you're not sure how to be generous. Why? Because you're not keeping up with your income. I believe you ought to live on a budget. Why? Because Dave Ramsey says you ought to live on a budget. <laughs> I actually believe it's biblical. It's biblical stewardship. You don't have to be legalistic, right? Like, 
I need a budget. No, it's not in the budget. I can't buy a new hairbrush today. I don't have a line item for my hair. Like, don't just, just whoa for a minute. Like, I think you need to know what's coming in. And I need, I think the right way to budget is to predetermine a plan for what will go out. Otherwise, it's all just going to go out. Dave Ramsey says it like this. You either tell your money where to go or your money is just going to go. Get on a plan. Get, get on a budget. I think it's right. I think it's smart. I think it's good in keeping with your income. Save it up. Set it aside. I think that there ought to be. And this is how my wife and I have lived our lives for, uh, uh, how long have we been married? <laughs> Say that again. You don't know how long it's been? Y'all. I don't know, we got married in 03, 03, right? 03, right? Yeah, how many years is that, 18? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Patty. I love you so much. Yeah, see, we, thank y'all. Sometimes your pastor needs some help. Just, numbers aren't my thing, but I'm here talking about it because God does. That's all I'm trying to say. 18 years, so for, I would say, at least 17 of those, we have lived with a simplified budget where we know what comes in, and we then assign everything. We have a percentage that we give, a percentage that we save, and we live on the rest. And we give each of those things an expense and a detailed reason of where it needs to go in broad terms. It's not exhaustive. We try to keep it simple. Why? Because I like things simple. And this is how we've lived our life. We said, friends, um, this is how we do it as a church. Here at Faith Church, we live on a budget. We live on a budget. Every year, we, I gather with our, uh, our, our pastors, our leaders, and our elders here, and, and we, we plan, and we look at past year, and then we pray, and we say, okay, what does that next year we think might look like? And we, we, we assign, okay, here's what we think the income's going to look like, and based on that, we set up an expense budget, what we think it ought to do, and we have priorities. You want to know what one of our priorities is? 10% of everything undesignated. Do you know what we do? 10% of everything that comes in week after week after week, we take it, and we set it aside. And you know what we set it aside for? Outreach for our global and local partnerships. We, we set it aside. And I'm so thankful for our elders that are here in the room, the, the elders that are part who come alongside, and we budget so that no collection will be needed. That's what Paul said. And it's not wrong to take extra collections. It's not wrong to be like, hey, we've got this opportunity, let's go, or here's this building thing. It's not, it's not that those things are wrong. But on a day-in and a day-out basis, we don't really talk about offering every single week. We have people who have shown up to church and have attended here for months, and they finally were like, hey, um, you don't ever take an offering. How do people give around here? Do you, do you even believe in giving? Oh, no, we do. Absolutely, we do. Generous giving. That's how we, we believe in generous giving. <laughs> but we stopped passing a plate and a bucket years ago. Because if you want to give, you can give. And if you want to avoid it, you can avoid it. At the end of the day, it's a choice you have to make. Not a choice we're going to make for you. We're just going to let you make the choice. We're going to make it easy. We're going to make it there. We're going to make it available. But, but we're not trying to manipulate. But, but we're just really committed to, as a church, being generous and as a leadership team, being faithful in our stewardship. And I'm thankful for our local, our local elders, men like Greg Fess, uh, men like uh, Greg Motley, men like uh, Brady Simpson and Gary Palmer, 
who along with me steward and lead from a big picture perspective all of the, the financial things, all of the missions, and of course our pastors and our staff here are, are key in that. We also have another layer of leadership that we call our apostolic elders. These are men and pastors who serve in other places in the body of Christ around the, uh, uh, outside of our church, and they stand alongside with me in prayer and, and, and just understanding, and they cover me and our kind of some accountability in my own life and the structure of how we go. People like Pastor Dale Jenkins of New Hope Worship Center, who is my pastor and has been my pastor for 14, 15, 16 years now, and uh, Pastor Brandon Dearman at Lakeshore Christian Fellowship in Tiga K, South Carolina. All of these men are, are a part of planning and executing. Why? Because we don't want to come and we don't have to beg for every little thing because we as a church have decided we're going to lead the way in joyful generosity and we as pastors and elders are going to steward everything through these budgets. And when we budget, it, it creates opportunity for what happens. Here's what happens when you give regularly, and this is what Paul's talking about. When you give regularly, listen, it empowers the church to meet needs and it enhances ministry and allows the ministry to expand further. This is because of the, the generosity and the giving and the budgeting that we live and how we move as a church. We're able to do things like make sure you have coffee on Sundays when you show up. We're able to take care of all of our kids' ministry resource, all of the crafts, all of the lessons, all of the object lessons, all of the, the digitizing that we need to do to help your kids learn about Jesus on their level. We don't come and we say, well, we're a little short on fish and crackers today. We need some more goldfish, and we're going to put it on a little board up here. We need 20 people to donate 20 boxes of goldfish. No. We love Jesus. We love his church. We set aside some as individuals to generously give to the local church week in and week out. And ministry can happen. People can be resourced and reached. And ministry keeps going on and on. This is how we get to, to not only supply the staff that is needed around here, but this is also how we budget and, and do to, to provide resources online. All of this equipment, all of the things to make online ministry happen. So those of you who are at home stuck with COVID and, and praying, for healing and waiting for new, you can still be a part of the church. You can still receive ministry and be a part because there are people who generously give. And we're like, this, we're here, we're on board. This is what we do as the people of God. This is part of what it looks like to live a Christian life. And we do it with joy and delight in our hearts. See, it's, it, giving it regularly empowers the church to meet needs. This is, this is why we're able to have a uh, COVID care baskets out in the lobby for you to take and give to people that you know and love who are at home in quarantine dealing with COVID. Take a basket, drop it on their porch, ring the doorbell, step back, wave and say, we love you. And we're praying for you. Here's a basket to brighten your day. They're available. Well, do I need to sign up for something? Do I need to like, where's the basket? Do I put a tip in? No. If you want to give, give. If not, if you have a need and you see somebody in need, take a basket to them, would you? Just take one and go. Like, we're, we're, we're so happy to get to do those things. We're able to supply. We set aside. We're able to supply. Listen, two elementary schools fully supplied with school needs because week after week we set aside to make sure that this need is taken care of. You got to be a part of that. 
if you give on the regular, you got to be a part of that. We as a church got to do those things. We get to support uh, outreaches around the world, our outreach partners around the world. Every month we get to support them. Why? Because we decide to be generous, and on the first day we set it aside for, for use in the kingdom of God. But it's something that you have to decide to do. Paul was encouraging them, hey, listen, I want you to do it this way. Set it aside the first of every week. Set aside some. According with your income, which, which I believe the best way to set that aside and to gauge that is a percentage of some sort. I believe biblically the Bible talks about tithing, which is 10%. I'll tell you why I believe that and why I personally practice in that way here in a little bit. But I think percentage giving helps you to be consistent and recurring and that no matter where your income is, up or down, you're able to give in keeping with your income. I believe that's what Paul is after. Look at what he says in his next letter that he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to the same church. He says this. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly and not under compulsion. Friends, I'm presenting to you what I believe the Bible teaches. I'm presenting to you today what I believe Scripture asked of us as followers of Jesus. And if today you feel like I'm giving you a guilt trip, please know I'm not. I'm not. It's not some plot. There's not a big hook coming at the end to ask you for something. It's not. Because the Bible says we shouldn't add compulsion and we shouldn't try to manipulate and you shouldn't decide to do it reluctantly. Like, oh, I don't really know. No, either do it or don't. It's okay. But if you do it, here's how you do it, he says. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The decision to be cheerful and the decision to give are yours. Just know God delights in that. And God who is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he, being God, who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Not greedy in all things, but generous in all things. Generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Can I just pause? The number of people who have been touched because we do the school supplies, they don't love God or know God, but they're saying thank you to God. Think about it for a minute. They don't know God, and they really don't love God and have no desire to follow God, but they're receiving the blessing of God's people, and they say thanks for it. That's what he's talking about. We love, I love, I love, I love, I love to give with no strings attached. There are a lot of people, this was funny to me. I was uh, dropping one of our kids uh, off. We were doing open house. 
and I got to hurry, but this is a funny story, and it, it, it illustrates something so well. Uh, we, we, we were, and they were telling us, they're like, um, actually, um, I, I'm not, and the teacher goes, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's a church that they've donated all of the uh, school supplies. Uh, so, like, you, you won't need to, uh, your kid won't need to bring any school supplies. It's like, yeah, I had heard that. How amazing. <laughs> and we kept on moving. Had no idea who she was talking to. I loved it. I was like a secret operative and like nobody knew and it's like, oh, this is so fun. <laughs> there are so many things that happen behind the scenes that people don't even know about as it relates to the generosity of this church and of these things and we're perfectly okay with that. Yes, that's right. Because of the service of which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. For your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because they're surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. What indescribable gift? The gift that people's lives are transformed through your generosity. Why? Because giving impacts people. It impacts people. Helping them recognize God when before all they would have seen was greed from others. They begin to see a God who so loved the world that he gave. I believe we are most like our Father in heaven when we choose to be people who are generous in every area of our life. Why would Paul And why would your pastor be so strong in the command to be generous like this? Why, why would Paul do that? Why am I doing that today? Here's why. Number one, Jesus said it's better to give than receive. Acts 20 verse 35. It's better. It's just better. It's more better, y'all. Or better. Number two, generosity must be intentional for greed to not grow. The antidote to the greed of our world is the generosity as a son and daughter of God. Can I just be real honest? One of the reasons why I refuse to stop tithing is because I refuse to allow greed to grow in my heart. Because I guarantee you, guarantee it, if I stopped giving, I would absolutely become very greedy. I just know what's in my heart. And I refuse to give the enemy that opportunity in my life. I just refuse. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 24, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, 10, 17, 18, and 19. Number three, why? Why, why are we talking about it this way? Ties and offering were God's idea and his plan for providing for the church, its leaders, and ministry to move forward. Look at Numbers 18, Malachi 3, 6 through 12, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. This was God's design. This is how Jesus' ministry happened. People gave. 
and ministry occurred. Jesus didn't go around starving. He didn't lack in any way. There was enough money for Judas to be stealing. Scripture tells us. It was Jesus' ministry. It was part of the Levitical commands and the priesthood. And while the law in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus, it's not something that we ditch today. Whereas if we just unhitch ourselves from the stories of the Old Testament, listen, everything in the Old Testament, everything that we read about in the Old Testament was a pattern or a picture that points to a better way, and that's the way of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't erase all those things and be like, yeah, those stories don't matter anymore. Blood, that doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about sacrifice anymore. There's just a better way to talk about it. The giving and the generosity. It was fulfilled. It's significant. And it only increased. In, and I love this. Uh, think about it. We read it today. Paul said, I'm going to come and hang out with you for a little while and, so that then you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Can I, break, can I help you read between the lines? Here's what Paul was saying. I'm going to come stay with you, and I'm going to hang around long enough to make sure that you give generously enough to my ministry so that I'm not lacking until my next stop. It's really practical. I'm like, man, Paul, those are some big brass taxes right there, Paul. Hmm. Like, I just, like, dang, Paul. Okay. That's, that's the pattern in how Jesus the Lord set it up through his church number four why, why is Paul and why am I talking about this like this number one it's all God's anyways and we're called to steward it according to his desire and his priority read Psalm 24 verse 1 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 Matthew 10 and 18 it's all God's anyways y'all it is he wants me to honor him don't, don't miss this he wants me to honor him with the decisions of my life so I give him the power over my life. That's power. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so what I do with my body and its members, quote unquote, I do to honor him. His way, his standard. That's dealing with our human sexual ethics. And, and I give to the Lord first, giving to him, setting aside, and I honor him with my finances because money will not be my God. God will be my God. And number four, here's the last. When I, when I give, it's part of my Christian witness of the gospel. Let me say it another way. When I tithe, when I give the first to the Lord, how do I know it's the first? It's the first one that leaves my hand. That's how I know it's the first. Why do I give the first as a tithe to the Lord? Why, why do I believe in returning the tithe to the Lord? Here, here's why. Because tithing tells the truth about Jesus. Because we read last week in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was the tithe. He was the first of many. I, I, why, why do my wife and I, why do we tithe? Why have we committed ourselves to that and that percentage? Here's, here's why. I just believe in preaching the gospel. And it's one more demonstration of how I can preach the gospel. It's one more illustration. It's one more reminder to me that I once was lost I once was bound in sin I once was stuck on my way to hell 
someone stepped in to redeem what was cursed. His redemption brought my freedom, my restoration, my healing. That's what the tithe was supposed to be. To tell the story of the Son of God who would later come and be the first to die and redeem a sinful people and make them now holy and right in relationship with God. Why do I tithe? Because I want to tell the story of Jesus again and again and again. And I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. This week, friends, I want to encourage you to sit with this sermon for a little bit. And I encourage you to pray and then begin to make a plan for your own practice of giving. What does that need to look like in your life? What do you, what do you think that should be? Some of you, you've never given. I would encourage you just to dip in the water a little bit and just maybe give for the first time. Maybe you haven't given in a while. Maybe give for a second time. Maybe you set up some reoccurring giving. Maybe you, you take a step and you begin to do the percentage giving. Where are you at? Take a step. Pray. And then make a plan. Just make a plan. And be intentional with telling the story of your own redemption through the power of generosity that impacts another person. Would you stand with me? We're going to come to the Lord's table. Again, all in Christendom, all in our life, we have symbols and activities and things that we do to tell a story about God's love for his people, right? So we come to the table and we take the bread and the juice, which is the body of Christ and the, the, the blood that he poured out. Like we do this in remembrance of the Lord. We do this to remember what Jesus did. This is why we talked about giving in this form and fashion because it reminds us of something, something else. And as a body, if you're a part of this church, I, I, I want us today as we come to the table to, to say together this giving liturgy, this this confession, this prayer of sorts to say, God, this is our desire. Would you help these truths to be true of us? Because we fall short of it. We're not perfect in it. Sometimes our heart is deceitful. Our, our heart is greedy. Our heart is materialistic. Our heart is selfish sometimes. But, but God, as much as we can, we want to come to focus our life on Jesus and we want to walk in your way, God. We want to do the right thing. We want to stand firm. We want to do it. So this liturgy is just a way of prayerful desire and cry of our heart to the Lord. These words weren't formed by me. They're formed by another pastor, pastor, but they're beautiful. And I've been taking them to my own heart lately. And so they're going to come on the screen, and I want us to read it aloud, and then we'll take the bread and then the juice together. Ready? Let's read this and say this aloud together. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, 
whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the system of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the light of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. So, Lord, as we come to your table, we want this to be true of us. You, Jesus, are the confession of our faith. You live these words true and perfect, and we want to live like you. And that's our commitment today. Let's take the bread, which represents his body now. And now the juice, which represents his blood. Lord, I pray today for your people, the family of God, the people of God, my brothers and my sisters. Lord, I pray that today you would just kind of remind us, Lord, of the role that we get to play in proclaiming your message of truth and freedom to the world around us. Lord, we, Lord, I'm just going to pray, Lord, I wrestle so often with the pull of greed and the pull of things and materialism. God, it's so easy to get wrapped up in those things. But Lord, we never want to forget what you have saved us from, what you've redeemed us from. And that, Lord, our practice of generosity helps impact others. And they too get to see these good works and begin to glorify you in heaven as a result. So, Lord, today, would you help us just to live in this way, this week? Speak to us and help us determine the right practice for us as we move forward and take steps to live the way of Jesus in this world. I pray, Lord, today that you would bless your people, that you would turn your face towards us, that you would shine on us and be gracious. You would lift your countenance in our direction, and may we find your peace everywhere we go today. And may we always remember that we are radically loved by you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.